Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your WWE Draft Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We are going to talk everything that happened in the world of WWE over the last few days on today's show, but we're also going to give you a WWE mock draft ahead of the draft itself this Friday night on SmackDown. We have an absolutely loaded show ahead for you. My co-host Chris Vanini will join me momentarily. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. But there is so much to talk about that we enter today's show on a little bit of a rough note, believe it or not, because Chris and I sat down and we were so excited to tape today's show that somehow we went through the entire thing. We taped 100 minutes of professional wrestling audio for you, only to realize that our recording was corrupted. So we lost an entire show, an entire show breaking down all of SmackDown, all of Raw, and doing an entire WWE mock draft. Luckily, Chris found additional time on his schedule today for us to retape the show. So after this intro, you're going to hear a little bit of sound. I'm going to bring Chris in. We're going to talk the main event. We're going to do a WWE mock draft. And then the Silver King will be back solo at the end of the show to break down everything else that happened in the world of WWE. As always, you can go into our episode description and check timestamps for each individual segment if you just want to hear the mock draft, if you just want to hear everything that happened in the world of WWE and skip the mock draft. It is your prerogative, but of course, the Silver King suggests always listening to the entire show. Before we get to the start of the show, a couple notes as always. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, at SilversteinAdam, but more importantly, follow this show, at GettingOverCast. We tweet every single episode as soon as it is published, as soon as it is live, and I tweet about wrestling all week long. We share news, cool moments, historical stuff, and I do send a couple tweets during each of the four major American wrestling shows. So don't forget, follow us at Getting Overcast. And to thank us for doing the show, or just to help us grow, honestly, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. Every single new rating and review helps this show. We have skyrocketed into the top 40 of all professional wrestling podcasts, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider how many freaking podcasts there are, it's actually pretty impressive for a show that's only been around about seven months. We would not be there without your ratings and reviews. So please, once again, Apple Podcasts, five stars. It is all about the five. So I'm going to bring Chris Vanini in right now. We're going to get into the main event of the show. Again, we're going to start with the main event, probably four major topics. Then we're going to move into the WWE mock draft, all of that with Chris and the Silver King will be back at the end to wrap things up. So let's get to it. All right, Chris is here and we are not going to waste a second of time. Let's pop into the main event. And they say, Chris, that second time is the charm, and we're going to make that the case right now where we tackle this main event for a second time in one day. Let's start with Roman Reigns being crowned, basically crowned the tribal chief. I don't know if it was ever officially done uh, by Paul Heyman on Friday Night SmackDown, but I did have a couple quick thoughts about his entrance before we get into, you know, everything that actually happened on the show. Instead of Roman Empire, I think on the graphic 
for the screen right now on the Titantron. It should say Roman's Empire with an apostrophe <laughs> S. And now that he's fully turned heel, I, I've mentioned this before. The dog, the old graphics, they look even more out of character. What I liked is he made a very slow and very methodical entrance to the ring. And once he started talking, if you noticed in the background, all of those old shield Roman type of graphics, they all changed to Samoan emblems and symbols and flowers. And it looked way more in character for the gimmick that they're trying to go with for him. So I really think they should do something along those lines. So before we talk about everything that happened, do you have any similar thoughts or no? Yeah, I mean, it it seems like maybe they're continuing to inch farther away from S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, just kind of at a slow pace. But that that's one thing about the Thunderdome. And, you know, I have complained that there's too much flashing lights and too much stuff going on sometimes. But this is an example of where it works because you have so many more extra screens. You can show some different stuff up there and, and, and really play with it because you don't have a crowd. You, you can't make the crowd react the way you want to to a person. So you have to tell that story visually more than with a live reaction. And that's what they did with this stuff. So it's another, as they continue to tinker and try different things with the Thunderdome, I think that continued to be uh, a good execution of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, Reigns here was incredible once again. He acted like the perfect heel, the type of guy whose mind is so warped at this point that he only sees his way, his words, his thoughts as the truth. He insisted that he loved Jay and did all of this for him and for the family. But the one thing that he had to do, he meaning Jay, was accept Reigns' leadership, accept him as the tribal chief. And then they get into it a little bit. There's back and forth about whether they're going to have another match. And Reigns hugs Jay, tells him, do not accept the offer I'm giving you. Do not accept the highest stakes in WWE history. And that to me left some intrigue for next week, although nothing else really happened on the on the show. Like it got me wondering, what are these high stakes going to be? I think it's going to be something about their contracts or careers. And when I say they, I don't just mean Jay Uso, I mean Jay and Jimmy Uso, both being on the line in this match. That way, if Reigns wins, he basically gets to be responsible for them, lord over them, bringing them back into WWE, saving their jobs, saving their careers, very much in the way a mafia boss might, where you take over the family, both because maybe you're the oldest or maybe you're the next in line, but because you have that power over the other people inside of your family. And you look at this, you know, I just got finished watching The Sopranos a second time during this quarantine you look at the way Tony managed that family, it was through a domineering presence. And I think that may be what they're going for with Roman here. So that's my guess. It's either going to be that or their contracts are going to be on the line. Uh, They're going to lose them. And maybe they show up on Raw a couple weeks later. But I think it's going to be the former. I think Reigns is going to end up creating his own Samoan stable, maybe the bloodline that we've always wanted. But it's not going to be because the Usos want to join him, but rather they have no other choice to feed their family. So my only little, I guess, quibble with this segment was calling it the greatest stakes or the highest stakes or whatever in in WWE history, because it didn't, it Mm -hmm. just, I feel like it didn't need that. Because when I think, okay, in kayfabe, what have been the biggest stakes in, in WWE history in a match? 
first thing that comes to mind is Survivor Series 2001 during during the invasion and the Alliance versus WWE winner controls the company, basically. Or, or you can go to Shane McMahon Undertaker, uh, WrestleMania, Hell in a Cell, Shane McMahon control of the lockbox, whatever that whole thing was. It <laughs> did nothing came of that, but whatever that was, that was like control of the company type stakes on the line for types of things. And, and this is obviously not going to be that. So I didn't, I don't know. They, they, they've, they, they sometimes lean in too much into hyperbole and it just kind of takes you out of the moment, whether it's the greatest wrestling match ever or now the, the, the highest stakes ever in a match. And not that I think they're going to totally build on that, but it was just a weird thing to say. But as for how it plays out, I, I, I think the way you laid it out is probably what's going to happen. It's probably maybe Jay's going to be fighting for both him and his brother. And I think the way it plays out is kind of similar to what you say, where Roman wins and they're gone, but he invites them back. He, he shows them mercy and invites them back into the fold, kind of like, you know, WCW guys would sign to NWO or something like that. Maybe not that far down, but but yeah, a, a mafia boss type of show mercy type of thing to bring them back in the fold. Cause I don't we don't think the Usos are are going away. And I you know, I, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe they moved to Raw or something like that. I don't know. But I think there's a lot of really cool ways they can go with this. But whatever they do. Roman has absolutely been killing it every single week. He he is a guy you can feel what he's saying. Like this does not feel like a guy who's who's acting and obviously he is, but it is he, he there's no like he feels so comfortable in this role. It doesn't it, he doesn't come across as a guy who doesn't feel comfortable doing this job. He feels like he he knows what he's doing. He has a singular focus and he's doing it and every time he comes up on my screen I got to pay attention to watch. This isn't like, you know, have it on in the background or something like that. When Roman Reigns is coming on my screen, I am putting everything down and paying attention to see what he has to say. And they have absolutely nailed every part of this. Big that's that's right. You're really nailing it because I think about when I watch wrestling, especially the way I watch it now, doing this podcast, taking notes. Sometimes I'm doing work, maybe even eating dinner if it's late at night. And you know, there's times where you don't really see exactly what's happening, right? Like even when we do the show, we make mistakes occasionally. We'd say, hey, oh, really? Is that what actually happened there? I must have missed it. Because you're looking down, you're looking away, you're looking at your phone. Wrestling can only command your attention so much. But when Roman Reigns music hits and when we see the big dog, you know, as of right now, still the big dog uh, on the screen these days, he commands your attention. You put your phone down, I stop taking notes. Maybe I take them after his segment is over. I stop eating. You know, whatever the case is, I want to see what Roman Reigns is going to do. And when you consider the position he was in in March, seven months ago, where you're like, you know what? They've built him pretty well for the main event at WrestleMania. They've done a pretty good job not having him in title matches and not over pushing him for the last year okay, it's fine. We'll accept Roman Reigns winning the title. That was our mindset, right? That was basically most fans where they're like, we're not going to boo him anymore. But at the same point, it's ridiculous that you have never turned this guy heel and he's still a face and we're just kind of getting sick of it. And then you compare that. We'll take him over Goldberg at WrestleMania. It's fine. Well, God, well, uh, I mean, let's not even get started on that because we'll (laughs) go for an hour on that crazy, horrible booking. But- you think about that Roman to the guy that we have now, where I cannot wait to see him 
mm-hmm. on Friday nights. And I'm no Mark in those regards. And we don't throw that word around negatively here. You know, we're all Marks to some degree. But think about how excited you are when Roman Reigns comes on the screen now and then realize how that feeling contrasts with how it did before. It's just crazy. So they're doing an incredible job with him. I really do feel like he has taken his career into his own hands. I don't know if this is 1000% his own booking and storyline, but what I do know is he's cutting his own promos. He's putting these things together. Yes, Paul Heyman is helping, zero question about that. But this is what Roman Reigns has needed for years, at least three years. He's needed to be refreshed. He's needed to have his career turned around. And I have said this going back as long as I've been wrestling podcasting, which is probably like three years at this point, maybe four. And this is not necessarily a unique take, but I have been saying it from the very beginning. The best way to make someone a killer face where people are just going to fawn all over them and be thrilled to see them on TV and root for them and buy their merchandise. The best way to do that is to turn them heel and then turn them back face. It's something WWE never did with John Cena. And despite Cena being over forever, to some degree, it did cost them. There was more money in Cena than they got out of him. And it almost cost them with Roman Reigns. They took this to the brink of failure before, I mean, I don't even mean to say it this way, a pandemic almost kind of forced them to change things. It's working better than ever before. Roman is killing it. Jay is killing it. Paul Heyman is killing it. This is as good of a storyline as WWE has given us in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, that's what we said about the main event at at Clash of Champions. We we thought that was one of the best main events we had seen in a very long time. And I'm fine with them moving this forward, giving it another uh, another month out of it. We weren't sure, hey, is Jay Uso going to be a one-off match to get us to something else? Um, Jay is carrying his end of this, and that continued with what they did on Friday. It did. Now, in the you know, we also had a match on the show, Jay Uso right. defeating AJ Styles. And if you told me two months ago, two months ago, that Jay Uso would be AJ Styles clean with his finisher, and it would have made complete sense, I would have laughed. This was a <laughs> really good match. Like mm-hmm. these guys worked their asses off with a great finish. Jay countered the phenomenal forearm, hit two super kicks, plus the Samoan splash for the win. They did a very good job establishing Jey Uso as not a flash in the pan just because he won one number one contendership match, but someone who deserves to be getting these opportunities with Roman Reigns. I thought this was very smart booking, a great decision, and a fantastic job by AJ Styles putting this guy over who, for storyline purposes, really needed it. So just top notch across the board. The only negative for this entire thing was it all happened really early in the show, and I kept waiting for there to be more later, and they never really gave it to us. Yeah, you know, I I said this a couple weeks ago with Jay in that they can make a star out of almost anybody they want if they just put the time and the effort into it. And they did that over the last month with Jay Uso from a character and storyline perspective. They told us who he is, why he's doing this, what his relationship is to the champion and why this all matters to him to get you emotionally invested And now you do that and you can have him beat AJ Styles and believe it. Like you said, it would have been insane to think about that two months ago or any other time in history and it'd be perfectly okay. But that's the power of building characters 
we we are okay when we root for somebody and that person wins. You give us a reason to root for them and then we watch them follow through and win. That's the whole point. That's the storytelling. That's the basic stuff. So continuing to follow up that that character build with now in the ring. Now we're seeing now we're seeing more of Jay one on one. Oh, he can win more matches. He can beat a former world champion. Uh, it just continues to build toward the next match. And yeah, again, they could do this with a lot of people, as we've said, and I hope they take that from this. Jay is certainly uh, carrying his own in this story, and I would just love to see in the future more people get opportunities like this. And by the way, it's not much of a surprise that either or both of the Usos are great, but it does need to be said, Jay Uso as a singles performer has it. And he deserves credit for the job he's doing. It's been fantastic. And anyone who watched Talking Smack on Saturday morning saw a segment on there with Jey Uso. It was awesome. A great follow-up to SmackDown on Friday night. Let's stay with SmackDown, the blue brand, and go to Sasha Banks kind of clapping back a little bit at Bailey. I saw a lot of people online, Chris, complaining that Banks isn't selling her injured neck well enough or long enough because she challenged Bailey to the SmackDown women's title match this upcoming week on Friday during the WWE draft show. But I went back to look just to like double check, make sure my head wasn't crazy. It's going to be five weeks since she's been in the ring. So I'm not really sure what they want. It does feel like they're giving us the storyline that we want here. And holding this match on WWE draft night does create a couple of very interesting scenarios. It can really go two primary ways. Number one, Bailey retains the title maybe with some shenanigans. Banks gets drafted and ends up winning the Royal Rumble, challenges her for the title at WrestleMania. This has been a scenario we've been discussing for a long time. We just thought the match would come at a pay-per-view and everything would transpire from there. They would do the draft immediately after after the pay-per-view. The other option, of course, is Banks wins the title. They do a rematch at Hell in a Cell. And the big storyline there is Sasha has never successfully defended a women's singles championship in WWE. So the whole storyline is, will it's not just so much that she beat Bailey, will she be able to defend it against her? So there is drama there, and it would, in theory, be enough to wrap up their storyline before there's a split. But I don't necessarily know if that's the direction they want to go, because when you consider how long this has been built, and the fact that they teased it like an entire year ago, then stopped and now came back to it. It feels like that would almost be too short of a finish to a really, really long-term storyline. So I have to figure they're going to lean towards option number one. And Chris, if I was booking it, if, if SmackDown was my show, then what I would have happen is an hour one of SmackDown, I would have Sasha Banks get drafted to Raw. And then the main event of the show would be Sasha Banks versus Bayley for the women's championship, Bailey knowing all she needs to do is get out of that match with the title, count out, DQ, whatever the case. I know people hate DQ finishes in WWE, but if you use it in storyline, it works. She gets out of that match by the skin of her teeth with a DQ or something like that. Sasha vows revenge to end the show. And now we have a storyline where Sasha knows in order to get revenge on Bailey, she needs to win the Royal Rumble. She does. And now we have a match for WrestleMania. I think it's a good way to put some air between both of them. If I was booking SmackDown in WWE, that's what I would do. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't 
I, I like you said, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of this being a real match and then they do a Hell in the Cell match and they try to wrap this up within the next month or so because maybe things are uncertain. Maybe they feel it's gone on too long and they want to, they want to make sure they can get it done. I, I hope they don't. I hope they string it out. And this is the perfect opportunity to do that. Now, ideal situation is probably what you said. Maybe they do have a match, but Bailey does a, you know, a, a weasels her way out and Sasha has to go off to raw and she feels like she's safe and Sasha vows to get her back. I think another way they could do it that would be it'd be kind of fun, but it would also upset a lot of people <laughs> in the moment. I probably would be, too, is that early in the show, maybe Sasha gets drafted to Raw and then therefore is ineligible for a SmackDown title match in, in, in Bailey points to the bylaws or something and they can't have this match. And that's another way to weasel out of it. Now, I know we'd be upset about teasing a match and then not delivering. That's certainly a problem. People would be so yeah, yes, but also, oh, my God, yeah, it, 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 WWE generally has not been given the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I deserve the benefit of the doubt on uh, that, but it would add another layer of just kind of a, a little bit more heat uh, to it. I don't think they would follow through on that. That's a little maybe too risky, but that possibility also popped up into my head when I realized that they're going to be fighting on a TV episode. The other part is, you know, they've been giving us big TV matches on SmackDown. You know, the, the, the Fox ratings matter to them. I imagine they're going to follow through and give us some sort of match on it, but I thought that'd be a kind of fun, trolly way to do it, but I don't think they're going to. I want to clarify my point. Even if it ends in DQ or count up, I still think it's going to be a real match. I don't think they're going to screw us, quote unquote, and not sure. give us an actual match. But you do have to think like they built up this entire storyline for months upon months. This was the hottest number one storyline in WWE A before they broke up and B before Roman Reigns got there. This was the number one storyline. This thing was rolling and they're going to give us a TV title match on a random Friday, just because during a WWE draft episode where it's not even really the featured attraction of the show. That doesn't feel right to me for the storyline if it's not going to be impacted by the draft itself. And considering you're right, we don't normally give WWE benefit of the doubt, but recently SmackDown has deserved the benefit of the doubt. It's been good. I'm going to go into it giving them that. But despite all of that, I feel like the build to this was epic, as I said, over the last few months. But it has lost a lot of steam, in my opinion, over the final few weeks. The solo promos with Bailey and Banks are not really working. All of them have been a little bit flat. Sasha Banks' promo this week was definitely better. But her best promo was on this Talking Smack show on Saturday morning. It just was, it eclipsed what she said Friday night on SmackDown. So it comes off weird to me that they haven't really verbally sparred face-to-face, -face, even over a screen scenario. It just kind of feels like, Something is missing here. And I think maybe it's because they purposely cooled it down because they're going to split them up. If that's the case, it makes sense. If it's not, and they're progressing with the storyline and they both are still on SmackDown by the time Raw, I guess, is over on Monday night, then it's going to be curious what they do. Because yeah, you can easily go Hell in a Cell, but we already have two Hell in a Cell matches. We'll talk about the second one in a moment. So are you going to have three? And isn't that really overkill at this point? 
And hasn't Sasha Banks lost every Hell in a Cell match she's ever been in? So it's just like, you know, where are they going to go here? I'm not really sure. But it, it has, it was storyline one. It was the thing we were most excited about on WWE. It's definitely taken a backseat to Roman, but it's probably fallen behind a couple others as well. Yeah, it, it it has cooled down. And that that's partly why I wondered if they would wrap it up because stretching it to WrestleMania is going to be quite tough. You're going to have to get Sasha and Bailey into some pretty hot feuds separate from each other to kind of bide the time because uh, we don't want to just be just like, all right, it's it's mid-October and we're just waiting for the Royal Rumble two and a half months away, three months away. Uh, so it's possible that they wrap this up. I, I, I hope they don't. I hope they do give it some more time, but it is going to be a tricky thing to pull off. It has been the whole time. Obviously, I imagine the original plan at the beginning of the year was something like a SummerSlam type of deal, but with no fans, they want to get this to when they can have fans in the stands, and I don't blame them. So we'll see. It's a tough thing to just tough thing to balance. It does feel like that's exactly what happened, that it was a SummerSlam plan, and they had to figure out a way to elongate it. So we did get a little bit of messy booking with Sasha winning the Raw Women's title with Asuka, but them together really worked. And it was a storyline that took us through the pandemic era. So between Asuka and Bailey and Sasha Banks, you could probably say they were the MVPs of this entire period. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But yes, it does just feel like it has cooled down. You know, it was at 95 degrees. It was pretty hot. It was ready to explode. And now it kind of feels like it's like 75, you know, like warm, but not that warm. Like, yeah. You like, know, it, it still has yeah. room to get hotter. You know, they, I mean? you know, they, they try to have Bailey, you know, beat up Sasha, do the chair stuff to the neck to try to add some heat to it. But right. we all we all know we're kind of just waiting for them to have the match now at this point. Exactly. And we know the quality of match that these two can have. I mean, take over Brooklyn, all time women's match. One of the best I've ever seen. Maybe the best I've ever seen, at least on, on NXT for sure. One of the best when you include WWE. So it also does feel weird. Like we know what they can do. Yeah. And they're asking them to do it on SmackDown with commercial breaks. That doesn't feel like the venue for the match between the two. What feels like the venue also is not really Hell in a Cell. It's SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble in a match at Royal Rumble. One of those major events. I hope that they get that opportunity based on the booking. Okay. And, and, and that's also and that's also why I think they can afford to do a full match and maybe have Bailey cheat at the end. Yeah. As like a, as like a pause point, like, all right, we're going to pause this feud for a couple months here. We'll pick it up so it doesn't fizzle out, like kind of end it with some some fire. And then so we know we're putting a pause on it. So as opposed to some some quick, quick thing or something. That's definitely the way I'm leaning. Uh, kind of what I said at the very beginning yeah. that I, I hope they book it that way. If they do, I think it'll be successful. Let's move over to Raw for the second half of our main event. Two topics. We'll start with Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton officially being set for Hell in a Cell. Orton's promo to open this show was pretty impressive. Six minutes, unscripted. He nailed every single point, completely sold the Hell in a Cell match. It made sense from his mind. And, and that is what I think was most impressive. Drew McIntyre kind of attacked him afterward. That may have been a bit corny. Forget may have. It was a bit corny. But the segment overall, the concept behind it worked for me. It showed that Randy Orton is sinister. He's still the legend killer. And it gave good reasoning for his attack and why he wants another match. McIntyre, a bit later, thanked Orton for the challenge. 
and laughed that basically challenging him to that type of match was a mistake, thinking he had the upper hand because because Orton made that challenge. And, and candidly, I would think the same thing if I was Drew McIntyre. So I thought that made a lot of sense. And I also liked the Street Profits promo ahead of that six-man tag team match. There wasn't really much build to the tag team match. They didn't really tell us why it was important. I mean, we knew why they were having it. It made sense storyline-wise from last week. But I felt like, look, they're, they're like, look, we got four shows left into Hell in a Cell. We need to do some things. The six-man tag, old WWE trope that we have not seen a lot on Raw, to be fair. So they went ahead and did it. Uh, no problem. The match was really good. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they're like, hey, let's just do this. We got the draft next week, and then we have two weeks to build for Hell in a Cell. That's what I figured was the mindset of their storytelling on Monday. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't I haven't really been into the McIntyre-Orton feud outside of maybe the very beginning of it. But th- this was a very good Orton promo. This was kind of, this was the type of Orton we'd been getting much of the year when we were saying he was should be up for, for wrestler of the year. But, th- I mean, this promo, the way things played out, and, and going back to the Clash of Champions match, is that, like, Randy's not really the heel right now. Like, they all teamed up on him in that ambulance match. He is right to be upset about it and feel like he deserves another shot. And and so, I don't know, the, the way Drew, I mean, I, I, they're not doing a double turn, but the way Drew has conducted himself as a character over the last few weeks, he's really, really gotten quite cocky, and maybe maybe that's the point. But, yeah, it's just been a little weird that kind of like, Randy Orton's got a point here. And and maybe that's okay. Maybe this is again just to get us to a hell in the cell match, and maybe Orton will win and we'll move on. But uh, it's this has been a little bit different the way this played out. You know, we were not happy with how that played out in Clash of Champions, and now we sit here where we believe Randy Orton, the guy we're supposed to hate, deserves another shot. Well, he does. I mean, he's right. 100% justified in wanting this match in kayfabe. It makes all the sense in the world he should get another one, and maybe that's why they booked the ambulance match the way they did because a lot of times, what do we complain about or what do fans complain about? Oh my God, they give too many rematches, right? It's the same thing every week. We're going to talk or I'm going to talk about it later because you're not able to be with us the entire show due to our technical screw up. But, you know, the Bobby Lashley, Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews, Ricochet, that whole thing. It's been going on forever. Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio. We complain about all the rematches. So I think here... They kind of gave themselves an out and looking back on it, you know, I guess it's kind of smart a little bit. If, if you know, you have the draft coming up, you know, you have some of these things going and we were both expecting them to make the title change at Clash of Champions because the ambulance match set up as a perfect way for Drew McIntyre to lose the title without getting pinned. And Randy Orton gets to kind of walk away, head, head, head held high, new champion, Drew McIntyre, not hurt by it maybe even gets drafted to SmackDown. Like it just made a lot of sense. They didn't pull the trigger. And I think this reasoning, because maybe they do want to have him lose it at Hell in a Cell, that could be the reason why. Now, I don't know that they're going to have it at Hell in a Cell because honestly, the fact that they didn't change it to Clash of Champions shocked me. But I think it is at least possible. So let's move to the six-man tag team match from this show. Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode defeated Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits. This was a really entertaining match, even if it didn't feel like much was at stake. It was good that they basically had the Street Profits in a position to pin Orton after hitting the anointment and then the frog splash. Because, 
hey, we're trying to get these guys over. We want them to look good. They almost pinned the Legend Killer. Cool spot. But the finish was also really smart with McIntyre hitting the Claymore on Rude only for Orton to then catch him with the RKO for the one, two, three. But Chris, while the match was good, I have to say, commentary did not do a good job selling this. This is the first time McIntyre has been pinned. You can't even guess it. I know you're thinking about it while I'm, while I'm leading into it. This is the first time he's been pinned since Thanksgiving. So <laughs> over 10 really? months ago, okay? So think about that. More than 10 months, the guy has not been pinned and they still don't sell it on commentary. Everything in this main event, every part of this match was really good except for that. Hey, WWE, why am I telling your story for you? If you say that this is the first time that Drew McIntyre has been pinned in 10 months, guess what? It makes Drew McIntyre look insanely strong because holy crap, this guy's gone through nearly a calendar year without getting pinned. And guess what? It makes Randy Orton look incredibly strong because mm -hmm. guess what? This is the first guy in 10 months to pin the WWE champion. So why the hell would you not do that? I am a podcaster. I am a fan. I'm someone who watches on TV. Why do I know that? And why don't you know that to tell the fans? That's a problem with commentary. I, I think that Tom Phillips and the guys on Raw do a really good job. I praise Tom all the time, but I don't know who gives them their notes if they completely do them themselves or if there are researchers and people who, and writers who try to put things all in there, but shame on someone for missing stuff like that. I mentioned this before with Aleister Black losing for like the first time in a year mm -hmm. or only two times in a year when Rollins pinned him. This helps sell your product. It should not be up to me to do that. This was a big moment and it was only treated as a mediocre moment. So shame on them. So I will say that Samoa Joe did react heavily to Randy Orton pinning the champ. He started yelling, he pinned the champ, he pinned the champ. Good. So much so much so that I like noticed it because normally I'm just like, all right, somebody pinned the champ. This happens all the time. On <laughs> That's true. And, we, and, that we, true. And, we, and we talk about that. I did not realize it had been that long. Like this is, you know, this is an example of show don't tell. Don't just say, oh, you pinned the champion. It's a big deal. Again, because we see it all the time. Tell us why it's a big deal that the champion got pinned. It's because the champion hasn't been pinned in 10 months, 11 months, Thanksgiving, really. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 an example of why these things matter. They have a research team. They have stuff going on. How do they not just, like, have a streak tracker going on? You know, just, like, use these numbers and these things that are available. You can't just tell us to feel something. You have to show us why it matters. Because you put in all this effort to not have him be pinned for so long, you might as well get the give the rub off uh, 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 on to somebody else. In, in, <laughs> in this case, Randy Orton, uh, phrasing there. Uh, but yeah, like that's a big deal, and they just threw it away for it. For <laughs> they just threw it away for a generic. Oh, so and so has pinned the champion uh, when it really could have been so much more. I didn't know that. If you had told me that, that that adds a lot to why Randy Orton deserves this match and and, and it, it has you know they always like to say someone's you want to win a match to gain momentum going into something well this would have certainly done it it would have stopped drew mcintyre's momentum you can make a story out of that How, what, what's his confidence like now that he hasn't that he's lost for the first time how's he going to handle that like you know play off of these things you're just like 
take that extra second to care about these details and it'll go, it'll take you far. Now, that's the thing that AEW actually does really well. Now, mm -hmm. you can say what you will about their promises at the very beginning of sports-based presentation and the rankings. You know, they don't even really follow those rankings so much when it comes to title matches. They kind of do, but they don't really. So I think all of that's kind of ridiculous. But what AEW does a great job of is remembering their history, remember remembering what's happened in their past, and allowing it to play into the storyline of what's happening in the present or then in the future. You look at the Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy feud, right? When Orange Cassidy beat him the first time, it was a huge deal. Why? Because the only time Chris Jericho had lost to that point in AEW was when he lost the title to John Moxley. And then Orange Cassidy beat him a second time. And, it go, and it's like, holy crap, Chris Jericho has lost one-on-one -on -one three times in AEW. And two of them have been to Orange Cassidy. That boosted Orange Cassidy to a huge degree that this is the guy who has been able to get over on Chris Jericho more than once, where a lot of people haven't even beat him one time. So they built up Orange Cassidy because of that. And that's the same thing as this. If you're going to have Randy Orton pin Drew McIntyre, if you're going to have Seth Rollins pin Aleister Black, there's reasons for it, or there should be at least in your storyline, in your kayfabe, sell it to us as viewers. Otherwise, you're wasting your own booking and it's your own damn fault. Yep, yep. There is a uh, there is a Twitter account called WWE Stats and Info. I don't think it's run by WWE. I think it is, actually. It might be, maybe it is, but they I've been confused about that as well. They actually haven't tweeted in a week or so, but they always have some, like, interesting stuff, and I'm like, someone's doing this. Someone certainly has to know this stuff. Like, use that, uh, use that knowledge. It's, it's at WWE Stats, um, and they always kind of have some interesting stuff, so, yeah. I, I've talked about this before. What WWE needs is a showrunner, and for people who don't know what that is, it is basically, it's not necessarily the writer, it's not the producer or the director, but it's someone who makes sure that everything is in order and everything makes sense. They check on continuity and that has been the missing ingredient in WWE. They need to start treating this like a drama, like Game of Thrones minus the final two seasons, like, like The <laughs> Sopranos, like The Wire, where things that happen in March matter in storylines for August or for November or even the next March. That is what WWE is missing, among other things, sure. But that is definitely one of those components. And if they had someone like that, this would not have been missed and it would have been a bigger deal. So it's a, it's a good point. It, it, it's a, it's, you're, you're so in the day-to-day, -day, you're in the weeds day-to-day -day that you sometimes aren't able to take out, take a step back and look at the big picture and that can be important and incredibly useful when you're trying to tell a story. And that especially should come into play with something else that we should talk about that happened on SmackDown. Absolutely. Well, no, I'm sorry. I was on Raw. I was on Raw. I was going to say, because that's the next part of the main event, that Retribution returned on Monday night and it has a new leader. There is a lot to unpack in this storyline. So we're going to kind of start at the beginning, work our way through, be patient with us, we will get to the big news item, of course, that you want to know if you didn't watch the show. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, as I said. So let's start with the pieces that set up the big reveal. Early on in the show, MVP was backstage. He's talking to Apollo Crews, Ricochet, Mustafa Ali, 
He's saying, hey guys, I got an opening in the Hurt Business, one night only, if you want it, come and get it. And while he said that before, to me, this took on a different meaning, a different tone, because what they were trying to say, and I don't think that they made it completely clear, but at least it was the idea, was, hey, the WWE draft's coming up. Some people are going to get drafted, some aren't. And if you remember WWE drafts in the past, some people are just kind of left off and kind of forgotten about, right? They become jobbers or they quote unquote are free agents. They lose their jobs, whatever the case. So this was intriguing that MVP is kind of saying, look, the Hurt Business is going to be fine, right? Why don't you come join with us, ensure you have a spot ahead of this WWE draft and we'll worry about everything after that. So I thought that was a really smart promo, not promo, uh, storytelling segment from MVP. And you saw while MVP was talking, Apollo Crews was kind of interested. Then when he finished talking, Cruz kind of walked off. Mustafa Ali never gave him mind, completely walked off. But Ricochet was there kind of mulling it over and wondering what was going to happen. But Ali was the one who was steadfast and never gave that facial indication, which obviously would be foreshadowing later in the show. A little bit later, MVP's in the ring. He cuts a promo. He he calls T-Bar T-Bag, which popped me because (laughs) what did I say on this show? I'm like, they're going to make fun of these names. And I, I think I gave you like a n- bunch of different names for Slapjack that they were going to call him Flapjack and Slapdick and all that. Again, still don't know if I can say that, but whatever. He called him Teabag. Really funny because that's exactly what we're thinking of. But then he absolutely killed the end of that promo with that line. We're what nightmares are made of. That was awesome. Then we have Ali come out and he shoots back with a good promo. And I'm like, what's going on here, man? Not only are they giving him promo time, but he's connecting. And then the shock of all shocks is Ricochet like interrupts Apollo Crews talking and he starts making jokes and you're thinking, oh my God, this is going off the rails. But he turns it around and cuts probably the best promo of his WWE main roster career. It felt natural and real. And you're like, oh my God, this, this guy actually has a character. So all of that leading into the match that we'll talk about in a moment, I'll pause here so you can get in. All of that worked for me. And I said, look, We have seen this every week for like three months. It's killing me. But for some reason, on this night, at that point, I was like, this is really good. Yeah, I think Ricochet was a little too excited and even kind of interrupted Apollo there. He did, (laughs) During his promo and Apollo. But that's okay. Like, it comes across as authentic when they mess up and acknowledge it and just kind of roll with it. Like, you know, it should be done more often. But yeah, overall, it's just like, Man, are we still doing this? It was nice to see Mustafa Ali again. You know, he was there a month ago, then kind of disappeared. He'd been on main event. And and especially with the Cedric Alexander turn, you were thinking, are they going to do more? And then when you're just seeing, all right, we're doing more of this stuff. I've been ready for this to go on. Because I I wrote in my notes, I was like, what what is the goal of the Hurt Business here? What what are they trying to do? They, They got the U.S. title. That's great. They're not running raw underground anymore. What, what are they doing? They are never they ju- did. <laughs> yeah. Are, are they just here yeah. to tr- try over and over and over to get Ricochet and Apollo Cruz over? Or, or what are we doing here? And we finally got that answer with what happened in the match. Yeah, we did. So we had Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin beat Ricochet and Apollo Cruz. And in this match, the action was somehow better, I guess, in many ways than many of their other dozens of meetings. Cruz and Ricochet in particular were awesome. We've talked before about maybe making a couple of these guys into a tag team. And I know for a short period of time, it was Ricochet and Apollo Cruz. 
sorry, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. But Ricochet and Cruz, I think, would work exceedingly well together as a tag team. We know that's what WWE needs. So I very much hope they actually do that. But Cruz did that leapfrog over Lashley to avoid the spear. That was a big spot. He quickly tapped out again, though, moments later to the hurt lock for the finish. At this point, and I'm going to pause again, but at this point, at the end of this match, I'm sitting there thinking, this has to be it. We're moving on. The WWE draft is next week. They beat them decisively. They've beat them decisively numerous times before. This is officially the end. We're finally going to move on from this for good. Did you have the same thought in your head? I, I sure hope so. Because like I said, I was like, we, we got to We got to We got to stop this either. Either draft them to other spots, separate them. I'm glad the draft's coming up because Raw especially needs some freshened up storylines. Uh, so I was hoping it was the end. All right. So a few segments later, I think we get Mustafa Ali backstage and we see her business again. And I'm like, wow, they're actually still going with this in the show. But then Mustafa Ali opens his mouth and he's keeping this aggressive mindset, challenges MVP, says, I'm going to wait for you in the ring and her business. You guys can come as well. I'll take on all of you later in the show. So what I thought this was going to lead to was Mustafa Ali winning again. He's fighting MVP. He does a flip outside like a cannonball, takes out the rest of her business, comes back in the ring, pins MVP. It's a big win. And my thought was very positively, hey, they're going to be pushing Mustafa Ali here. And I think we talked about it even on the show or on the instant analysis, maybe for Clash of Champions, that who should challenge Bobby Lashley for the title next? It really should be Mustafa Ali and he should win. So I'm thinking I'm a genius. Like, this is great. Like, like, you know, everything's working out and Mustafa Ali is getting a push. So I'm already happy. But we end up having a match that's short because Ali was being outnumbered. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, they're just going to have this guy get beat. It's 50-50 booking from last week. But her business gets into the ring. They corner Mustafa Ali. And then all of a sudden the lights go out and Retribution shows up. And Chris, I don't think they played this perfectly per se, but they did it well enough with MVP looking at Mustafa Ali, talking to him, convincing him to join them at least temporarily to fight because they need the numbers. Otherwise, Ali's going to get his ass kicked. So Ali puts his back to theirs and sides with them for a moment. Then he slides out of the ring and you see MVP looking out of the ring like a proud father. Like, look at this guy with the balls to walk right up to Retribution and spit in their face and maybe slap one of them and get this thing going. Now, once he slid out of the ring, I knew what was happening just, you know, because of WWE wrestling, uh, you know, decades of having watched, you know what's going on. But the way uh, MVP sold it, I loved because it's like, wow, this guy's oh, yeah. really proud of him. And this is so cool. Ali turns around, points to the Hurt Business, Retribution attacks, and Ali is revealed as the leader of retribution. I thought he was cold and calculated here. MVP did a great job selling the surprise that this is all transpiring on his face. He was surprised and he's like, all right, well, let's beat the shit out of these guys. So it was just really great MVP work. He was one of the MVPs of the entire night, pun intended, I guess, on that one. But the finish was nails as well, because you get Ali in the ring with retribution behind him. He puts out his palm, which is normally filled with lights, you know, he's the light and he closes it into a fist. And I don't play this anymore because I don't really like this sound drop, but man, I had this going on. I had some sirens going off. That doesn't mean that 
Retribution is suddenly good. It doesn't make up for the garbage that we've seen from them week after week on WWE television. But separate from all of that, this right here, this was good. Yeah, and honestly, they it got me the whole time. When, when Ali joins her business just to fight him off and MVP's like, you with us? And it, it, it made sense because for weeks we had seen people who were in the same match eventually teaming up to just fight them off. We saw people coming out of the locker room to fight them off. It was like, what we are feuding with is not as important as stopping these guys. So it made perfect sense for that to happen. And when Ali walks out, I thought he was going to walk past them and leave and just leave the hurt business to get beat up. I thought I th- I, that's what I, th- I thought he was thinking. This isn't my fight. I'm going to make them think they're safe and I'm just going to walk out and let them get beat up. So when he turned around, I was like, whoa, this is it. This is it. They actually did something here and they got me and I love it. And that's the best part of wrestling when what you don't see coming happens. And we can talk about so so let's talk about how how long well, were I, they planning I, this? I got a DM slide here. So why don't you let yeah. me hit that? And then we'll then okay. we'll talk about it from there. Yeah. All right. So we do have John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68. He's asking the question that you're gonna ask and the question okay. that I would have asked in this spot. He says, Silver King, we know that long-term booking has not been a strength of WWE in past years. So my question to you and to Chris is do you think Mustafa Ali being the leader of Retribution was the plan all along or a last-ditch effort by WWE to save the storyline? I love the move as I didn't see it coming, and it made sense in storyline, but the cynical part of me struggles to give credit where credit might be due. So this is a great question, Chris, because it's 100% the mindset I have. It's On one hand, I want to say, wow, this was really smart by WWE, and maybe they've been playing us this entire time. On the other, I think, well, what did I talk about on the show two weeks ago? I said, hey, you know, there's Retribution happened, or I think last week's show. I said, Retribution happened, and WWE failed massively. They actually, I don't want to use the phrase lucked out, but caught a break. Some degree, Because Retribution couldn't be there due to COVID-19, it created this gap in time. And it gave them the opportunity to either A, drop it, or B, listen to commentary from fans that hated it and fix it somehow. So we go into this and we have to decide here whether to give WWE a lot of credit for either long-term booking or not. So for me, let's start with like the hacker gimmick thing. No, I don't think the hacker gimmick was meant ever to become this. And when they started this, I don't think they had the hacker gimmick in mind. Zero chance. But I do think about since the start of Retribution, Ali being off of Raw and complaining on Twitter that he was not getting opportunities. He was only on main event. And I'm starting to think that over the last few weeks, not even necessarily when Retribution started, but at least the last month, maybe five weeks, that this has been the plan, that he's been selling this the entire time. And then you start connecting some dots. And you realize, hey, Retribution's strength right now is their Twitter game. And that's kind of where Ali excels, right? And then you think about last week where Ali was in the Hurt Business locker room. And you thought, oh, the way they sold that in the episode was just him being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He made a wrong turn. That's what he said. What he probably really was doing was casing the joint. So 
now you're kind of connecting some of these dots and trying not to give WWE too much credit, but at the same time, not trying to take away credit that they might deserve. It's a really difficult spot to be in. My hope, Chris, is when WWE goes all the way and connects whatever dots they're going to connect, I guess when Ali gets promo time, presumably next week, they take it back to some save point. So they either take it back to the hacker stuff, which theoretically they could explain because he was able to, or Retribution was able to hack and change the lights and the sound and all that type of stuff. Bring it back to him being off Raw despite being on there for a week. Or they could really go all the way back to Elimination Chamber in February 2019 when Ali got hurt and replaced by Kofi Kingston, lost all of that momentum. He was not going to have a title match at Mania like Kofi did, but he was going to fight Daniel Bryan for the title at a pay-per-view. This is now 20 months later that he's the leader of Retribution. There are so many different little things that they can do with Ali. And my hope is that when he cuts his promo, suddenly everything makes sense. Not just with him, but with the faction. Yeah, I think I don't think this was long-term planning. I, I think this was probably decided maybe a month ago, maybe two weeks ago. But whatever it was, they do deserve credit for that. You know, part part of this whole thing is, you know, adjusting when things aren't working. And that's often a problem with WWE storytelling is that they stick with something far too long when people want something else. Look at the Roman Reigns stuff we were just talking about. So maybe they don't deserve the credit for the long term booking on this. But that but that doesn't mean they don't deserve credit. And this gives them an opportunity to kind of kind of retcon or, or, or make some of that old stuff relevant and make it kind of canon again or what have you. You can go back to the hacker game. You can, you can go back to these other things and say this was the case because it's not like it's not like it came of anything for Mustafa Ali. There was, it just ended. You can you might as well pick it up and throw it in and say this is happening. That happens in TV shows all the time. There'll be offhand things that happen and a couple seasons later they'll decide to go back to it. And right, even when they didn't plan to do it initially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's just that's just generally how, how TV shows can work. And so, yeah, I have no problem with it. I hope they do that. You know, that was, that was my biggest complaint about retribution for a while was we still don't know, like we still don't know who they are and why they are here. We know, we know the reason they are here for, but we don't know why, because we don't know who they are. They're, they're, they they do not have faces. They're, they're technically not the NXT characters that they were when they uh, made the move. And that was my right. biggest complaint. There's no connection to who these people are. They, they, they got the scraps. How, how do I know I got the scraps? There was no T-bar anywhere in NXT. Before. What, <laughs> like, what, what am I? What are you talking right. about? Who is getting right. these scraps? Now they have a chance to fix that. And by the way, it, and sorry to interrupt, but yeah. it would have been one. It would have been one thing if they were wearing masks and calling themselves T-bar and Mace and all this while they were causing havoc. But once they signed contracts. They didn't sign their contracts as T-Bar and Mace. Yeah. They signed them as Dominic Dijakovic and Dio Madden and Shane Thorne and Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez. So then the masks should have been revealed and they should have said, yeah, now we're here. This is who we really are. And then, you know, ideally people know who they are, which even if there was a crowd, only so many people watch NXT. So then you're getting, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's who they were the entire time. But that's not what they gave us. No. They basically gave us a really convoluted storyline about them hating money grubbing people, but nevertheless signing WWE contracts. Yes. So this is a, this is a opportunity to put an actual face 
on this group and a story and character building behind them. We, you can explain all the stuff you just explained with Mustafa Ali uh, and everything he went through. That can be the example for everybody at Retribution if you want to. You have to connect to these characters. I, I keep saying this, but you have to, it's basic storytelling. You have to have a reason for being here and a reason for people to connect positively or negatively. They're just telling us these people feel this way without giving any reason as to why. And now they have a chance to fix that. Uh, with Mustafa Ali, I kind of wanted them to do the promo then and there uh, me too. Uh, on Monday yeah. night. Uh, I don't think it would have hurt, but you know, hey, it's got me looking forward to the next retribution segment. So you know that, that that's fine. And also, I'm glad that um, Mustafa Ali has his full name again. Mustafa Ali. I know there was that period where he was just Ali. Uh, He's had it for a while though. Yeah, but for something like this, you know, getting this big moment, it would have been unfortunate if he was just a one named Ali character. Well, let, uh, let's just be happy that he didn't like take off his shirt and it said M chain or something like that. On it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, shorty, but what's, shorty what, a. The, my last yeah, shorty. A. The, the last um, thing to kind of say here, just to kind of wrap this all up is, you know, Ali throughout his entire WWE career, and I've interviewed him before. He's a great interview, by the way, he's been very against the idea of being a heel. Because he has always been concerned that due to his being um, Arab or Muslim, that he would be cast in that light, mm-hmm. right? And, and he thinks that, hey, look, my story is a true babyface story. I'm a sh- former Chicago police officer. I'm a good guy. I worked my way up. And I'm a family man and now a WWE superstar. So he always wanted to be a face. It's going to be interesting to see what this retribution group what kind of persona this retribution group takes on? If it is jilted superstars, which is what it seems like they are, they can be heel-ish, but still have people thinking their faces, right? Like they'll be probably booked on the heel side of things. But if Ali's like, look, I've been here for X years and I've hardly been used. I kicked ass in 205 Live, got moved to the main roster, and then floundered for two years, like what the hell is going on here? And that's a negative that that's meant to, for him to be a heel. He wants to take down WWE. That may be a heel in storyline. For me, that's a face, right? So I think because this might be a tweener type of gimmick, it works for him. And obviously it doesn't play off of his race or religion, which is really important probably for him as well. So my guess is he's cool with this because I'll tell you this, one way or another in the moment, he looked the part. He looked like, for the first time on the main roster, Mustafa Ali has it. And I'm very excited about that. Yes. And and he uh, he is a good looking dude when he's got that hair down and the way he was smirking at the end when they were all in the ring there. Um, very good look. I'm, I'm curious what he'll come out dressed as next time. Is he going to have a the same Iron Man type of gear with the, the light on it? Is he going to be looking like Retribution? Is he going to come out in a suit? Honestly, I think he'd look really sharp if he came out. Considering he's the leader, kind of like a Brody Lee type deal, if he's wearing a suit, I think that's always good for a leader. That's so I'm, a I'm, great point. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what he will look like next week. He should be suited. You're 100% right. That is our main event. Let's move on to our WWE mock draft. Obviously, we've never done this Ooh. on the show before because We've never had a show during a draft before. Uh, We're still in year one of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But I have done a couple of WWE mock drafts in the past. And hey, they can be kind of difficult to get through, but ours is going to go very smoothly. Before we get to the mock draft itself, where we pick our own 
rosters. Last week on the show, Chris, I broke down what I found to be decidedly important for a successful WWE draft. Everything from rules to format to presentation, I am not going to go over it all again. I spent like 15 minutes doing that last week while you weren't on. So anyone who wants to pause right now, go back and listen to it. So before we get into this, is there anything you want to share on your end in terms of expectations or necessities for the WWE draft? I, I just have questions. We don't have authority figures for this one. So who's, right. who's making the picks? Uh, I, I hope we don't have Cletus the Fox robot involved in this one. Um, we're, we're just we're going to kind of need an explanation, I think, as to why this is happening and who is making the picks. And we have no idea leading into it. I'm kind of surprised that we've gotten no sense of, of, of this because it was always they're on a team. You know, they, they, they feel good about their picks is basically just who was doing this. And I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. Yeah, I mean, it would honestly be cool if they brought back a couple legends and kind of made them the ones announcing the picks and also consulting with executives or something like that, right? But they're the ones who you saw on the phone kind of discussing these things. Anything else than those stupid, I, the idea of war rooms is great, but the canned pre-taped war rooms with, like you said, Cletus, the guy wearing face paint, going absolutely bonkers because they chose Natalia third uh, in the third round or whatever the case, like they did some elements of what I wanted last year, like making it sports-like, but they really, really failed on the execution. So we will see what they end up doing this year. It's strange though going into it, Chris, because it feels like half of the WWE draft has already taken place, at least for Raw. There's no telling if these changes are permanent, right. but we have Braun Strowman, Mandy Rose, Dana Brooke, and Drew Gulak, who have been on that show in multiple weeks. This week, we saw Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse, and obviously Kevin Owens was interacting with Alexa Bliss. So- I mean, I don't think for SmackDown we've gone anywhere down the line, but I'm kind of wondering if they almost kind of threw in some picks already for Raw. That way they could do one-to-one during the draft, or if maybe some of these people are going to get moved back. It's just really strange that they had this many people crossing over brand to brand right before you're going to do a draft. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if it's a spoiler for some of these picks because... They're going to try to have some feuds that are already starting so we don't just like restart a lot of stuff going on. That was my thought because, yeah, yeah. If, if Braun Strowman is on, on Raw, if Kevin Owens is on SmackDown, if The Fiend is on Raw, some of these things that have happened, it's not going to be as shocking. But, you know, maybe maybe that was the point. For sure. Now, let's get into our WWE mock draft. First time ever on the Getting Over wrestling podcast. So these are the rules that we're going to abide by here. The champions are going to be off limits uh, because we want to basically make sure that no matter who starts with whatever brand, you don't have, we don't have to worry about going back and forth with intercontinental and U S titles and all that type of stuff. Also, this isn't real. You know, this isn't what's happening on TV. So we're just trying to make it as easy as possible. You can draft your own superstars as well to retain them. So both rosters aside from the champions are completely open, which means you need to draft your own people on your roster if you want to keep them. Tag teams and groups can stay together or they can be split up. Uh, we'll flip coins for both brand and who goes first, 10 picks each, and we're going to roll on with this right now. Hey, Chris, you're the co-host here, uh, so let's start with brand. Why don't you go ahead and choose head or, heads or tails? So, so one of us will be Raw, one of us will be SmackDown, and we get to keep their champions? Correct. Okay. I am going to go with heads. 
Hey, Google, flip a coin. It landed on tails. Okay, ah. dude, tail, tails never fails, I'm telling you. Okay, so that means I guess I get to pick, right? Now, normally I would go with Raw. Almost every single draft I've ever done when WWE's had them and I've done a mock, I've done, gone with Raw. But I look at the champions and that's how I need to make my decision. And I do not see a way I can pass up this version of Roman Reigns. So I'm going to go ahead and take SmackDown for this. Uh, okay, Chris, for who goes first, heads or tails? Heads. Hey, Google, flip a coin. It's tails. Dude, tails Come never on. fails. I'm telling you. Okay, that means I get to go first. So let me peruse these rosters. I wasn't expecting to go first. I know it's 50-50. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to go first. Um, okay, I have SmackDown here. I can pick anyone I want. All right, this is what I'm going to do. I don't think they're completely broken up yet. So my first choice, it's going to be a group together. I'm going to go Seth Rollins and Murphy. Okay, I'll, so I'll now, allow it. So now the thing I didn't clarify is we're going to do this basically snake format. So I picked first, you're going to get two. We're okay. going to go two back and forth all the way down this thing. And then I will get the final pick as well. Okay, all right. So now, now, now it's my pick? Yeah, you get two picks. Okay, with my... First pick, I will take AJ Styles. Good. Okay. I think he brings a lot to the table. Former world champion comes over to Raw. Next back pick. Back to Raw. Back to Raw. Very Back, important. back, back again. Back to Raw. Next pick. I like, I like this guy's ceiling. I'm going to go Big E. Man, you're killing me because that's who I was going to retain <laughs> right on this next one here. So uh, let me ask you a question, though. You're being a wedge driver, right? You're, you're being a wedge driver. You're splitting up New Day. Is that what you're saying? Oh, I, I guess I could. I didn't think. I guess because New Day is not like together right now. I didn't think of that. Can I? Can All I? Right, can I just do, do New Day? Let's do this. You can get the rest of New Day. Let's give consideration due to how thin the tag team divisions are and how difficult all this is going to be. You have guys injured. Let me get just, you know, compensation wise, the Usos. I only get one dude instead of both. And they kind of go with Reigns. And I do think they're going to be a faction. How does that sound? Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I'll take the rest of New Day and you, you can you can take the Usos. To kind all of right. That. So already a little bit of a rocky start. We're, we're going to roll on here. No big deal. Okay. I'm trying to. That means I this. that means I have two picks. Now you took Biggie from me and there's two dudes who I think are future world champions in the coming 18 months. One of them is named Biggie. The other one, you guys know. That's the most action I've had all year. His name's Keith Lee. So uh, I am going to steal Keith Lee from Raw, move him over to SmackDown. That's a good one. That's my second pick. And my third pick here is going to be a retention. You know, we're not thinking storyline, right? We're just kind of talking about roster wise. So my third pick overall is going to be one of the greatest women's wrestlers in the world, Sasha Banks. Those are two ones that hurt. I had both of them very high up on my board. So for my third pick, I'm going to go some somebody who I felt for a while you can build an entire show around, and that is Kevin Owens. And for my next pick, 
I, 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 I think I need some veteran star power here. So I'm going to go with Randall Keith Orton. Okay, so four picks for you so far. You have two steals basically from SmackDown and then two retentions. So you're keeping a couple pieces of the roster already. I'm looking at mine right now. I have two steals and one retention. So, all right, what am I going to do with the rest of SmackDown? Now, for those of you, again, longtime listeners, you do know coming out of the last draft, I thought Raw had a way stronger roster than SmackDown did. And I actually still believe that even though the show has not been as good, but that mentality is staying with me here. I have someone else who I think is a future, you know, mid-card champion at a minimum, main eventer, definitely not at a maximum. He could be a world champion one day, but definitely a main eventer. And his name coming over to SmackDown from Raw, Alistair Black Hmm. is joining the blue brand. And... I'm going to need more women's wrestling here. So I have a tie between two. And this is going to be a very difficult choice here. But I'm going to go a little off the board. And I'm going to be patient and draft none other than the man, Becky Lynch, over to SmackDown. Oh, I guess I guess I hadn't thought about people who are kind of not in action at the moment, but I guess they're on the table, right? It's happened. It's happened to you with New Day, and now Becky Lynch. Yeah, so yeah they are. I, I gotta. They're on the table. I gotta sure. think. I gotta think about the people who are not around. Um, but actually, that reminds me. I I was about to make some women's picks as well. I got to make a few here because there are some top performers here. I got to go number five pick Charlotte Flair. Okay, she is another one who is. Uh, on the mend at the moment. Um, and then the other one, hmm. champions are off the board. So I already have Asuka. You have Bailey. I mean, Asuka and Charlotte's an incredible start. Yeah. Have Bailey, Bailey, Sasha, and Becky, which is really good, but, you know, Becky's not even around okay. right now. I got, so. I got my pick. I got my pick. She is, I think she is a future star. She is the EST of WWE. You're Bianca an ass, Belair. Man. You're an ass. Okay, <laughs> that was... Come on. That was my next pick. All right. That's a steal. I'll give you that one. Did you um, see did you see that video that I don't know if it was her or WWE tweeted? What an of, her, of, her, of, her, of her running sprints and just blowing away the competition and the hurdles. Yeah, and she's insane, dude. She, she is went to Tennessee. Rid- like, yeah, she's ridiculous. ridiculously athletic. I think she has a the the roof, the ceiling is the roof for Bianca <laughs> Belair. And right. I am I am happy with that pick at number six. All right, that that sucks because you know I've been talking about her to extreme levels on this podcast. That's a win. I'll give you that one. Okay, you got one over on me there. I'm still going to win the draft, but that was good. All right, so I'm going to answer back the same way. You're going to do that. I'm going to make sure that staying on SmackDown is the hottest wrestler of 2019 and maybe one of the hottest storylines going in 2020. I'm keeping the new tandem of the Fiend Bray Wyatt and Alexa Bliss. Little two for one shot right there. That's a good one. Okay, so the Fiend is staying. Interesting stuff, possibly. The Fiend and Alistair Black and Roman Reigns all on the same show. We're thinking he- we're thinking long-term booking right here with the Fiend and Alistair Black. I love that. All right, another pick. I got a couple names here. Uh man, I'm gonna go stick with men's wrestling. And all right, I'm going to keep, I'm gonna retain again. So we're in a little retention zone. None other than the ultimate bro, the super king of bros, 
Matt Riddle. I guess he's the original bro now, but Riddle is staying on SmackDown with the Silver King. You, you can have him. He was not on my board whatsoever. He's just hasn't been okay. working for me so far. I know other people like him, but uh, let I me ha- tell you this: I have no problem. You've, using that. you've never seen Matt Riddle fight Keith Lee, if that's the case. So I think I'm very I, happy to get I, that. I, I, I might have wanted. Did, did, did they have a match on Raw one time when everybody was stuck in Saudi Arabia or something? No, I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Okay. Okay. Here's, yeah. I don't know how much longer this person will be going on and they're currently not in the picture, but I can't leave a former world champion like this on the board who still has some miles left. And that is Daniel Mm -hmm. Bryan. All right. Yeah. Really good. I know. I don't really know when he's coming back, but when he does, he is a guy who instantly goes to the top of a card. And well, you got he, Brian and Styles, Brian and Orton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got that crossover appeal. I like, I like Daniel Bryan for for however long. And on the flip side, I'm gonna go. I, I need some more young, some some more young fresh meat out there. I'm gonna go with, well. Someone we just have, Mustafa Ali. And are we going to count Retribution in there? Yeah, I think we should. So if you want all, right. all of Retribution, that would come with all of those people plus Ali. All right. I like it. I, I, I like where they're going now. I like I can keep the Hurt Business Retribution storyline going on. Um, the numbers game. Really like Mustafa Ali's future here. I'm going to go with that. I think it's a good pick. Not, I mean, I love Ali. Don't get me wrong. But... The fact that you're getting Dijak, the fact that you're getting Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez, it's it's a good numbers play. Don't you know? forget, don't forget Slapjack and Slapjack. But the problem is, it's a good numbers play. But right now they're retribution. So yeah, no, it, it's, I mean it, it's mostly about Mustafa Ali. We'll of see course. what happens with the rest of them. Okay, no, that's fine. So I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna make another numbers play of my own. Obviously, there's no more factions or anything left or groups. But I'm gonna t- take someone who we've talked about. And by the way, I should clarify as well, because I didn't earlier, we're only picking Raw and SmackDown here. So we're not going into NXT. We're not taking a Johnny Gargano or a Santos Escobar or all those people that we love and, and think maybe deserve this opportunity and might actually get drafted. Escobar won't, but Gargano could. But I'm going to stick with someone. Uh, let me see. Where is he from? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take him from Raw. It kind of seems like he might be on the way to SmackDown in reality. A potential main eventer down the line, definitely a high mid carder now. I'm taking Andrade. I'm giving him back Cien Almas, and he's and joining him because I do believe they'll be back together. Is Zelina Vega? So Andrade, okay. Zelina, welcome to SmackDown. I think I think that's I think that's fair, even if they're sort of not together. Um, all right. So now I'm on my last. Nope. No, you're not. I got one more. Oh, pick. you're and still. Then, and then you get you get two in a row, and then I I wrap it up. Okay. Um. Okay, so another thing to clarify, again, I probably should have laid all this out at the beginning. Another thing to clarify, women's tag team champions, they can be drafted, just since we have some picks left, just so you know, they can be drafted to one brand or another. That is where they would stay. But of course, the ch- tag team championships are multi-brand. So right, just keep so just keep that I, in mind. Yeah, I wasn't, I mean, yeah, I wasn't going to I'm not going to draft. I, yeah, because yeah. I figured they technically kind of already have them anyway. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not really going to draft them, but I am going to take a women's tag team. That's why I bring it up. Again, two for one special. That's why I'm doing it. I love what I've seen from them recently. I am drafting the Riot Squad, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. I'm loving my women's division right now. And, you know, we're only going to make 10 picks. So there's more women 
to potentially join our teams. But already I got those two. I have Alexa Bliss, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, and Bailey as the champion. The Silver King is happy with the women's division. That is going to be my penultimate pick. Chris, you now have two left. All right. So my first pick here, I figured I could wait till the end. Uh, I figured you were not in a hurry to take any of these <laughs> people. You okay. have not been a fan of one of these people, especially. But I'm going to take Heavy Machinery. Oh, take them. It yeah. adds it adds to my tag team depth along with the New Day, along with Retribution, along with the Street Profits. I like my tag division. But I also get the Money in the Bank briefcase. You do, yeah. That is, a, that is a big part of why I'm making this pick, uh, to have that briefcase around. So I'm going to take Heavy Machinery. And to wrap it up, I, I, I want another woman to close out my women's wrestling division. I'll go with Carmella. I, I, I'm not sure what to make of the new gimmick and look, but I think she is always solid. She's good on the mic. She can she, she can she can do it all. So I'm going to wrap it up with Carmella. That's an interesting decision because you're choosing her over a Mandy Rose. You're choosing her over. Yep. Um, you know, Naomi potentially and a lot of other women. I'm just naming a couple, of course. Interesting choice there. Uh, now, I do want to clarify that there's going to be a lot of people left over here before I make my final pick, right? And, you know, we're not going to bother with dividing them up between both shows. But the, the point is, we've now drafted, or we will have drafted by the time I'm done, 20 selections. And it just goes to show you that these rosters really are deep when we at the end, talk about some of the people who are, do not go selected, right? Now, my final pick here is going to be the surprise of the draft. It's going to win me the draft. I mean, I already won the draft, let's be honest. My, my picks are better than yours. But this one is going to win the entire draft because you never thought of it. And this guy's been waiting for an opportunity. He's been waiting, not much in plain sight either. Because guess who I have on my roster already? I got Roman Reigns. So you know who else I'm going to get? The other Samoan Joseph in WWE. <laughs> I'm taking your color commentator. Samoa Joe is joining SmackDown. He's wrestling again. And I got a ready-made main event storyline, Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe. And by the way, in addition to the ready-made storyline, I got other stuff as well. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> Yeah, I got big meaty men slapping meat over on Friday nights. Fox, pay me to do this draft for you. The Silver King has won. I, I, I like the Samojo pick. I I like my I like my final four picks a lot more than your final four picks. Oh, that's absurd. Yeah, I think that's crazy. So I I, I like my depth. I think I have a good mix of of tag teams of of uh, of uh, women of. Uh, People who can be face and heel. I've got the Money in the Bank briefcase. I already like having the Street Profits as my tag champs. Uh, I, I got numbers with the Hurt Business and Retribution. I got a lot of... I, I like the mix of what I've got. I, I'm really happy with what I got. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying yours is bad. I'm just saying mine's better. That's all. But what we will do, Chris, is we will allow the listeners of this show to decide. So if you're listening to this, head on over to our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. I will publish a tweet, a poll with a list of all of the superstars drafted from each of our shows. I will do that probably because this is coming out or it's going to end up coming out 
late on a Tuesday night. I will do it Wednesday morning, and you will be able to vote who drafted the better team. By the way, on the way out here, talk about actually, this- actually, real quick, in that list, I think you should include the champions we retain oh, yeah. as well. Absolutely. No, the, yeah. the list the list will be comprehensive. Um, but even coming out of this, we should note the people that did not get drafted. Again, we only had 10 picks each, but yeah. there's so much talent that we just didn't really have the opportunity to draft. Ray Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. If I was building, if, I, if we did something where I was starting a company from scratch, Dominic Mysterio may have been one of those picks. Ricochet wasn't chosen. Apollo Crews wasn't chosen. Braun Strowman. Uh, Strowman wasn't selected. Ziggler and Robert Roode weren't picked. Um, going to the women, neither of the Iconics, Lana, uh, you know, Mandy Rose, to my surprise, actually, Mandy Rose was not selected. And probably the biggest person we overlooked, I'm going to go back and say it now, and I actually kind of regret not having her on my team, is Sonia Deville. Sonia Deville should have been drafted. Well, you know, speaking of people who are not uh, in the picture right now, who I just thought of was Edge. That's a big one too. He, he technically is available. So we also I, had Lu- we also had Lucha House Party, Miz and Morrison. Um, <laughs> I just saw Bo Dallas's name. It's funny that he's still on this list. Uh, King Corbin certainly. There's a number of people. Sheamus wasn't picked, and sure. another one also, Chad Gable. And that's kind of maybe where I'll, I'll end this here is. If I had more picks, I would have drafted Chad Gable because I would have said, hey, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with him. I'll rehab him. I'll make him a true mid-carder that can steal the show because we've seen when he gets that opportunity, he can run with it. So no, Chad Gable did not get selected, but in the Silver Kings world, he definitely would have been. So Jeff Hardy? You know, um, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I, Jeff I Hardy, mean, yeah. I, Good yeah, point. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't know if I would have necessarily taken him over what I did, but just another example of there, there is a lot of talent on these rosters. There is. And I do think ultimately this mock draft was successful and you all can tell the Silver King. I know I'm, I'm kind of joking. I'm going back into the old mode for those of you who used to listen to In This Corner and I uh, used to be the heel on the show because I had to be. That was my role. I'm playing it up a little bit, but I do really very much like my team. We will tweet this out. Please let us know who you thought won the draft. Thank you to Chris for joining me, you know, for this segment, the main event. Again, this is a show that has been, uh, it took a lot to tape this. Basically we were taping it late into the night on Tuesday because we had some technical issues, but a great show. Nonetheless, Chris, thanks again. And on the other side of this sound, the silver King will be back breaking down everything else that happened on raw and SmackDown this week. Thanks again to Chris for joining me. As I mentioned at the start of today's show, we had a recording error. We taped an entire 100-minute episode for you, lost the entire thing. So Chris was nice enough to rejoin me to go over the main event, to do our WWE mock draft that the Silver King obviously won. But let's go ahead and talk about everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days. Keith Lee against Braun Strowman in that unsanctioned exhibition type of match they had. The backstage segment was such a swerve because I'm thinking, how stupid is it that Adam Pierce cannot give a regular match to Braun Strowman when he's already been there fighting on Raw Underground? So I'm a little bit pessimistic, but all of a sudden Keith Lee steps in out of nowhere and my meat siren went off. And thank you to Samoa Joe. We have a new drop for this podcast. 
reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. And that happened. The beef was flying in that match. The idea was cool. Booking a countout in an unsanctioned type of exhibition match was pretty stupid. It's just another example of WWE giving us a DQ finish. It's, it's just such a joke at this point. Besides that, the brawl was incredible. We got peak level. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's what we got. It was like Blanca versus Zangi from Street Fighter or Godzilla versus King Kong or Peter Griffin versus the chicken. It was so much freaking fun. Now, I don't know where they're going to go with this, what they're going to do, but Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman raised the rent on Monday night. So they get a demerit, a little bit knocked down for the finish to the match and maybe even doing the match in the first place. Maybe they should have just had Strowman confront Keith Lee for challenging him and have them brawl all across the Thunderdome. But it was exciting and like I said, the meat thermometer, it popped in that moment. It was really, really cool. Over to SmackDown, we had an intercontinental title match. Sami Zayn defending against Jeff Hardy. Zayn was definitely the right choice to win the IC title. He's on fire. He killed that backstage promo, blaming fans instead of WWE management. It's a shame that WWE uses that trope so much. The you people type of deal where the heel blames the fans and that's why they turn heel. They tried to do it with Becky Lynch, failed massively. With Sami Zayn, that's a little bit different because it felt kind of like it worked, that he already blamed WWE, so the new source of his ire was going to be the fans. So it did work in that regard, but it's just a trope that they really hang on to a little bit too much. I did love, of course, that he trashed one of the Intercontinental titles. I thought he was going to trash both of them. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to do it. They're going to bring the old title back. Everyone knows the new one's a piece of shit. Unfortunately, he only threw away one of them. This was a really good TV match though, Zayn versus Hardy. I liked the inventive nature of it because the exposed turnbuckle was recognized early in the match and pointed out to the referee. But shame on the referee for doing nothing about it the entire match. He could have sent someone off or could have had one of the ringside people come on to put it on. Zayn could have torn it off again. But... In kayfabe, it's like, hey, ref, you know that something's wrong with the ring at the start of the match. You're not doing anything about it. Zayn looked strong by countering the Swanton Bomb finish. Then he straight up outsmarted Hardy for the win in the corner, lifting him up, throwing his head right onto the exposed turnbuckle. Really good stuff there all around. Keeping it on SmackDown, you had Alexa Bliss on the KO show. It was a really nice touch having the Firefly Funhouse flash behind Kevin Owens backstage but I couldn't help but think the whole time, like, why is he on SmackDown one week before the draft? Ignoring that, this was an incredible segment. Bliss is totally crushing this character. Her, her acting is completely on point. She's accepting the Fiend's brainwashing, then summoning him to the ring to take out Owens. That was incredible. The idea of like her reaching out her hand and the Fiend grabbing it at the end, also pretty great. I had thought maybe this would lead to Kevin Owens turning heel again because he mentioned on Raw and he mentioned on SmackDown that he's trying to turn a corner, turn a new leaf, become a face. But it seems like through these interactions with Black and with now The Fiend, it would make sense to turn him heel again. So I'm not necessarily sure what his involvement is in this. I don't necessarily know why they're doing a match with The Fiend next week on TV. By the way, it is The Fiend's first televised match since his return, meaning not on a pay-per-view. So I'm, I'm a little bit curious why they're going in this direction, but on Raw Monday night, 
You had Bray Wyatt join the KO show. Owens was great here, acting visibly shaken from The Fiend, working Black into it with The Brood, The Ministry of Darkness. He started telling the story that I was wondering on Friday why they weren't telling. So I, I appreciated that. He was basically wondering why are all these weird, dark characters obsessed with me? And what is next? The mood or the brood or the ministry of darkness. The Firefly Funhouse segment here was really great. Again, the way Wyatt is able to kind of turn into the fiend on and off on a dime is pretty impressive. The truth is between Bray Wyatt and Alexa Bliss, WWE has two of its better actors working together right now. And it's pretty cool to see. I also liked how he said Owens needed to mind his own business regarding Bliss because that was between her and him, him being the fiend. So him meaning Wyatt talking about the fiend in third person. And then the cherry on top of this entire thing was Black attacking Owens with the Black Mass, knocking him out at the end. Really great segment. And then later, I think it was on Raw Talk, Alistair Black said he demands one more match at least with Kevin Owens. So that all very successful stuff. We saw Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio, the storyline continue for the 82nd week in a row. Rollins and Murphy defeated Dominic Mysterio and Humberto Carrillo. The arguing with Rollins and Murphy was a nice new wrinkle into this storyline. I thought it was all a ploy, so I was surprised to see it continue during the match and then afterward with Rollins giving Murphy the ultimatum. I'm really liking the tag team, by the way, of Dominic and Humberto Carrillo, two young, hungry luchadors. They're similarly sized. They have... I guess similar movesets, although Humberto Creo obviously is, is at this point in his career far more talented, but this team works for me. I want Dominic and Ray to be a father-son tag team. If they don't go in that direction, give me Dominic and Humberto Creo. Gets Creo on TV, and I think it really works with both of them together. We got a great finish to that match, by the way, with Murphy hitting the insane V-trigger on a flying Creo for the win. He sold that shit like death and made Murphy look really good this entire segment. A little bit later in the show, we got a countdown clock backstage for Murphy's decision. I laughed at that. I thought that was really funny and a nice touch. And then he sees Aaliyah backstage. She tries to get into his head. Rollins then brings Murphy out. He berates him in the ring and tries to force him into apologizing until Murphy kind of turns things around, snaps, drills Rollins, gets that kendo stick, beats the crap out of him and forces Rollins pretty quickly to apologize to Aaliyah. Rollins being so quick to apologize was interesting because I thought it made him look weak, but then we know it was all a ploy. He was just basically playing possum, jumps up, tries to gouge out Murphy's eyes, beats him to hell with a kendo stick, grabs a chair, and then Aaliyah runs in, stops everything. What really sold this to me, though, was Rollins looking on from gorilla position with that shit-eating grin on his face as he saw that Murphy's hurt. He's tearing apart the Mysterios because he finally found, after all this time, their weakness, and the weakness is Aaliyah. So the question is, are Rollins and Murphy broken up? I don't know because we've seen them kind of, we've seen Rollins at least attack Murphy numerous times. Does Rollins maybe gain some respect for Murphy? Does it seem like they're split up and Murphy is hanging around with Aaliyah next week, but it turns out that he's only there because it was Rollins' master manipulative plan the entire time? I'm not sure where it's going to go. What I will say is this feud has been going on very long. And after multiple months of feeling like this thing's droning on, it's never going to end, it has no direction, it feels again like there's a direction. I'm excited to see what WWE does with this. And the Rollins dynamic of being a master manipulator 
with Aaliyah using a his 19-year-old daughter, Rey Mysterio's 19-year-old daughter in the entire thing, it does work. And it is really good storytelling. So I think this took a big step in the right direction this week. We had a six-woman tag team match, Asuka, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke against Zelina Vega, Natalia, and Lana. This match wasn't anything special, but I did like that Mandy was the one singled out to get over with the blind tag and the V-trigger. I think they're calling it a pump knee for the win over Lana. Mandy Rose needs moments like that to basically show fans and show the audience that she is a legitimate threat. Asuka didn't need that moment, so it was very smart they gave it to Mandy. On Raw Talk, Asuka called Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke sexy muscle friends, which I know that's not going to be their tag team name, but it definitely should be their tag team name. Pretty funny. Nia Jax, at the end of that segment, hit the Samoan drop on Lana, threw the announce table for a third time. It legitimately made me laugh out loud. I think I was watching this at midnight. There were two football games and a Yankees baseball game. So I was finally catching up on this and I start cackling when I see it. It's funny. It's a great spot. I think it's the best thing Lana has ever done as a wrestler. Probably the best thing she's done since she was introduced as Rusev's manager. It's a really funny spot for Nia Jax. It's probably the best thing she's done since a couple of those promos coming out of that Becky Lynch accidental punch to the face. So it works for me. And I hope they do it every week from now until the end of time. We also had a women's tag team match on the show. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax against the Riot Squad successfully defending the titles. This was a very entertaining match. It's not so much that I was surprised by the fact that I was entertained, but it did continue the trends of Morgan improving in the ring. She's had some down moments, but mostly she has improved. And Baszler and Jax working really well together as a team. I loved the finish with Baszler locking in the Kirifuda clutch on Ruby Riot while Nia Jax just lifted Liv Morgan off the ground to make sure she was not able to break up the submission. Morgan was then great. She ran over crying, selling how concerned she was about Ruby, trying to get Baszler to stop choking her. I have no idea where the women's tag team division is going. I have no idea where the raw women's division is going. Hopefully the draft clears it up because it's really murky right now. But for this segment as an individual segment, I enjoyed the match and I enjoyed the storytelling. Moving back over to SmackDown, Sheamus defeating Chad Gable. Guys, I'm being beaten into a pulp with this. It's more absolutely pathetic, pathetic booking for Chad Gable. He ate two brogue kicks, lost the match in two minutes. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I mean, it looked like one year ago, the Shorty G gimmick. Yes, we knew the gimmick sucked. He was in the Survivor Series match. We're thinking... Okay, the gimmick sucks, but they seem to be utilizing him. There was the King of the Ring tournament. You're like, okay, he's in the finals. Like they are gonna be doing something with him even though the gimmick sucks. And now a year later, he's a jobber. The gimmick sucks. The people that criticized it and said, how could you ever trust the WWE would do something with him? Those people were right. There is the draft coming up. There is an opportunity for this guy to go to Raw maybe, go somewhere that they might change his gimmick and book him a little bit better, maybe even bring him back to NXT. But something needs to happen with Chad Gable. Is he ever going to be a world champion in WWE? Probably not. Can he be a legitimate mid-carder who is a intercontinental champion with a really strong gimmick? 100%. He has that capability. Do something with Chad Gable. It is officially time now to shit or get off the pot. Next week, we have Biggie against Sheamus in a Falls Count Anywhere match, that thing should be a banger. Put your meat on my meat, man. 
Gently now. Gently, gently. I'm delicate. He's delicate. I don't think that match is going to be delicate. I'm very excited for that. We had a six-man tag team match. Matt Riddle and Lucha House Party defeating King Corbin, Cesaro, and Shinsuke Nakamura. This was simple, good booking to explain the faces teaming up before the match. I appreciate those little things. I was surprised how short the match actually was considering all six men are great wrestlers. Riddle beat Cesaro with the final flash knee strike and the bow Derek. That's a great way for him to gain momentum back after losing to Baron Corbin. You then had Riddle break up the Lucha House Party fight. That was pretty cool too. For a segment that I did not think was going to be good, this ended up really entertaining. But we do need to look again back at last week. You had Matt Riddle lose seemingly for no reason. You had Baron Corbin win seemingly for no reason. Those things better develop into something. Otherwise, that really becomes a nonsensical finish two weeks ago. So I'm going to hold out judgment, see if they do anything this upcoming week with it. But as far as an individual segment, this six-man tag team match definitely worked. Otis defeats John Morrison again. I'm not sure why they thought there was going to be any value in doing this again. Next week, Otis will defend himself in court and maybe that will be funny. But initial thoughts on all of this. You guys know I feel that way about Otis as a singles competitor and really more importantly, him winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. Heaven Machinery, good. Otis Money in the Bank briefcase holder, bad. 24-7 championship over on Raw. Drew Gulak defeated uh, R-Truth after dressing up as a janitor and then R-Truth won the title back in a dumpster. The janitor callback with Randy Orton, that was pretty funny. I will say it was better than most. That's not really saying much. The dumpster spots up. Uh, we'll move over to Bianca Belair. She had another vignette. This week it was the smartest. This was the worst of the three to this point, but I guess there's really only so many different adverbs that pretend themselves to the idea of doing vignettes like this. They already did fastest and strongest. What else really is there for them to do? So I, I like that Bianca Belair is getting TV time. Hopefully after the draft, she's officially on Raw and starts being built up again as a actual wrestler. But overall, the vignettes... Still a thumbs up, but instead of two thumbs up, back down to one. We'll stick with the vignettes. We'll talk about Carmella. That stuff was expected. I don't really have much issue with it being Carmella because we knew it was going to be. The untouchable gimmick is fine, but this vignette in particular was really bad. Look wasn't great, but the promo was horrible. Carmella can do better than that. They can write better than that. It was just a big disappointment. So we'll see what happens when she actually debuts in person with the new gimmick, her new look in ring style. Maybe it's changed up a little bit, but that vignette was a failure. We'll wrap up here talking about Raw Underground. It's the second week in a row we did not have Raw Underground. So the question really is, should it come back? Or should WWE use this two-week break to kind of say, we're done with it. We don't need any more Raw Underground. If it was me, if I was booking the damn territory, if I was in charge of Raw, I do think I would keep Raw Underground, but I would change it. First of all, I'd make the look way better. I'd reinvent it, but I would limit it to a single segment every week. So when the clock turns 10 o'clock, I would have go to commercial before that, come back from commercial, it's 10.02, whatever the time. I would do a singular television segment of Raw Underground. I would give it almost a mini roster, like six men, four women, and those people who are on that roster can rotate. And I would give them eight to 12 minutes every show. 
You get a Raw Underground segment. It's something different. It's something you can look forward to at the 10 o'clock hour. But when you're done with the segment, you go back to regular wrestling. Because I think WWE on Monday, they utilized the three hours of their television better than they have in a long time. And I think part of the reason for that is they didn't have to worry about multiple different retribution segments. They only really had one. And they didn't have Raw Underground interrupting the third hour. So we got longer matches, we got better matches, and we got better storytelling, all things considered, because it needed to take up more time on television. So that's what I would do with Raw Underground. I would reduce it. I don't think it needs to be eliminated. I do think there are shreds of value in it, but I would figure out the best way to present it, and I would use the last two weeks as a gift to figure out a way to reinvent it that makes it attractive and makes people interested to see it rather than just accepting it as part of the show. So that was a huge episode of Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As I mentioned, we had multiple technical issues. So the fact that we even got this done, I'm pretty happy with. We're going to be back on Thursday, breaking down everything from NXT and AEW. We're gonna have for NXT, the fallout of NXT TakeOver 31. For AEW, I believe this is the 30th anniversary of Chris Jericho episode of the show. There's a couple really big dynamites coming up. So lots of excitement coming on Wednesday, which means Thursday's podcast is going to be a must listen for all of you. Uh, it's been an interesting week. If you have not gone back and heard our NXT TakeOver 31 instant analysis, you should listen to that. You should make sure you watch that show first because it was pretty great. Chris Vanini on for half of today's show. Again, you can follow him at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow me, The Silver King, at Silverstein Adam, but most importantly, follow the show at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Once again, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Every single time we publish an episode, the people that follow us on Twitter are the first to know. We immediately post it. You guys will know when it's live and you're able to listen. I also tweet live during the shows. I don't do too much. I try to keep it to four or five tweets during each show. And I definitely don't spoil this podcast. That is the ultimate key. But the WWE draft, of course, is Friday. So I will be tweeting during that at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to follow us. And most importantly, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let us know how much you love our instant analysis. Every time you guys leave a rating and review, it helps the show. Please, five stars. It is all about D5. I will get that sound drop at some point point. Thank you all for listening. You've heard from Chris. You've heard from the Silver King. There's only one person left to say goodbye. Also, thanks again to Google for helping us with those coin flips. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.